he just came around and snuck up on me in the kitchen and you know it, it startled me and I, I reacted and and all he was trying to do is like put his arms around me that was why it kind of triggered me to just want to run away like I can't be with a person who's always going to be holding me back and criticizing me because I felt like I had spent so much of my life already in that environment of people who always wanted to tell me what to do and who were never satisfied with, you know, the results, whatever they looked like. Take a girl and a guy and they fall madly in love and form a family. Sprinkle in some counseling degrees and a doctorate, a dream of transforming relationships as we know it. And 20 years later, we give you power couple, Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. And this is their podcast, Couples Synergy. Welcome back to another episode of Couples Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean. I'm Dr. Ray. And I'm Jean. And this is our podcast about love, marriage, and relationships. Be sure to check us out online on our Facebook page and Instagram at Couples Synergy or our website, couplesynergy.com. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast or send us any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear more about. And now on to Couples Synergy, an in-depth look at love, marriage, and relationships, where we bring you our experience helping thousands of couples transform their relationships for nearly 20 years. Every day we get to hear intimate details about a couple's celebrations, disappointments, and everyday challenges. We've often wished these stories were shared because we know we are more similar than different. So we've created not only an avenue where you can hear about people's intimate lives, but an atmosphere where people come over to our home pub, pour a drink, and share their stories. People like today's guests, Orit and Aaron. Thank you so much for being on our podcast and for joining us today. Thank you for having us. us. We're happy to be here. You guys are coming to us from from where? On the East Coast, right? We live in Delaware. So if no one knows where that is, (laughs) it's a little south of Philly. Okay, great. Our kids are in D.C. There you go. We are in Chicago. Okay. Yeah, so you guys are closer to our kids than we are. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, before we get into your story, why don't you guys tell us a little bit about yourselves? How old are you? What do you do for a living? And how long have you been together? Yeah, um, I'll start. So I am 31. Took me a minute to remember that. So my name is Orit. I'm a board certified dance movement therapist. And I help women release trauma through their bodies, through movement and through dance. And I help them specifically when they've gone to years and years of different kinds of therapies and they still haven't been able to feel that shift. So what they're currently experiencing is basically sabotaging their healthy relationships. So I help them really leave the past in the past so they can let in their partner's love today. I I personally do this work because Well, I have experienced and overcome my own childhood trauma. And so when I met Aaron, which we'll talk more about, I'm sure, I was sabotaging our relationship. And at that point, I was in talk therapy for for three years. And I, I knew my trauma. I knew what I needed to do differently, but I just couldn't change the behaviors. And so that's when I turned to dance movement therapy myself as a client. Wonderful. Aaron, what about you? I am 34, about to be 35 in uh, a week or so. I am a user experience designer. I design websites and products and applications and and graphics and all all the digital uh, realm of stuff. Wow. And how long have you guys been together? We've been together for seven years. years. And yesterday was our three-year wedding anniversary. Yeah. Congratulations. Happy anniversary. Remember year three? Yeah, I remember year three. (laughs) (laughs) Can you guys guys tell us the story of how you met? Sure. You want me to go ahead? Okay. It was just originally through JDate, an online dating website. Kind of the the funny story behind that is that I had been on JDate for a little while, maybe a few months, and wasn't really finding much success with it. And I had tried to cancel the website and cancel the app. And they uh, they tricked me with, with good design or bad design, however you look at it, which is funny because I'm a web designer. It should be hard to trick me. But the they rebuilt me for like another month, even though I thought it was canceled. So I woke up 
one morning and had a message there from a REIT. And at first I was surprised because I, I was like, I thought I canceled this app. Yeah, then we started talking and talking and eventually went on a date. And here we are. And here we are. <laughs> Where'd you guys go on your first date? I was living in New York City at the time. So I think it was called Pata Negra. It's like a little wine and tapas bar. Wine and tapas you picked bar. It, sure. Yeah, we, we found out through when we were talking that we actually grew up in towns right next to each other, even though at the time she was living in New York City and I was living sort of near Hoboken on the coast over there. But where we grew up were basically neighbors. And, you know, I'd never known each other. Wow. And did you guys grow up in in Delaware or what in the same state, well, obviously? North, North Jersey. Okay. Okay, yeah. great. Wow. Did, did you guys choose J-Date for a specific reason? And were you on other apps prior to that? Yeah. I mean, we both were interested, maybe a little bit pressured from family to, for me, meet a nice Jewish boy. And so I was on a bunch of other sites as well, but JDate was the only one that I actually have paid for. Yeah, same for me. I, I tried a few others, but I was trying to find a Jewish girl for, for various reasons. And what was it about each other that you fell in love with? I mean, it, it's, I feel like it's a bit of a loaded question and probably a bit why I'm here because it's like, the falling in love process was uh, a bit more rocky for me personally because of my trauma, but I would say still slowly and gradually, like just falling more and more in love with, I mean, when I met Aaron, he was an anomaly to me because all the, the men that I grew up with in my childhood and then went on to date were like, they were emotionally unavailable. They were really unpredictable. They had a bad temper. And I met Aaron and on, on our first date, I, I noticed that there was something different about him. Like just the, his energy and the way that he looked at me was a lot more gentle and, and soft. He's still, still very manly, but, but uh, it, there was something different about him. So I was like, okay. So that was the part that like, I was like, this guy's there's something about him, but I was also like, Ooh, that's scary because I was so wired for drama and trauma in, in all my relationships with men. I think for me, I, I liked that you were really adventurous and uh, you seemed open to trying all sorts of, you know, different activities and going through, through J-Day meeting a lot of Jewish girls. I felt there was, you know, a certain type that usually comes along with that. And Ari was kind of an anomaly also to that type that was not like the typical Jewish girl. And I think we connected on also our, our approach to Judaism and our, and our belief that, you know, it was important to us on a level, but not the main factor in our life. We, we agreed on that. Yeah, we just had fun from the get-go, I think. And so how did the uh, relationship progress after you guys met? Like I said, it was it was a little rocky. I mean, yeah, I mean, we had fun from the beginning and, you know, a lot of great moments. But yeah, for me, it was just, like I had said, I was just so, like my nervous system was just so used to this fear. And even though there was nothing, not nothing, but like, it just, I just kept feeling like, okay, when is this? when is the stuff going to hit the fan or, you know, when is he going to turn into a monster like everyone else? And so it was really hard for me to enjoy those, those really good moments. Like I finally had this man in front of me who, who could give me this healthy love and, and who was trying to show me like, I actually really, I love you. I care about you. Like this is me. I'm here. And we had great moments but our foundation was a bit rocky. Like there were things that I, again, that I wanted to do that or that I was doing that I really wanted to shift. Like I'll just be, I'll just be really transparent. You know, I was, I was easily jealous and secure. I had this fear that even though I had never been cheated on, like that, you know, he would find someone better and I would end up alone. And so though we had, you know, we connected and we had this, unique connection. It was like, I couldn't let it all in. I couldn't really enjoy it. And, and there was actually a point in our relationship where 
I remember this so clearly. We were in my apartment in New York and I don't remember the words you said because, you know, I like blocked that out a little bit, but you broke up with me. Yeah. And that was a, yeah, that was a real wake up call, I think. What, can you tell us that story, Aaron? What was going on for you? I don't remember exactly what led to the breakup. I remember lots of kind of small events. There were a, a lot of a lot of things kind of that led up to that where Arit was really kind of we were we were I felt like we would take sort of like one step forward and then two steps back in our relationship and she would kind of test me and challenge me on things that I was doing that weren't really related to her. She was kind of questioning my lifestyle choices and things that I would do when I would go out with friends and, and things that, you know, I felt like weren't really about us. And uh, it was really frustrating for me because like she said, I felt like I was, I was trying to show her, you know, how much I love her and, and my commitment and how I'm, I really see this as something with long-term potential. And I felt like we were a great fit and we would have, you know, a good stretch of time where things felt really great. And it felt like she was just looking for things to criticize, to bring in, you know, conflict into our relationship. And I, I had a hard time understanding why. And it just got overwhelmingly stressful. Nothing I could say would change her mind. She would just come up with new things to kind of, you know, criticize about me. And, you know, all of this like lack of trust and that rockiness you attribute to the past trauma that you had experience before Arit, is that correct? Yeah, because like Aaron was saying, the, and he could feel that, like the things that I was bringing up, it really, you know, obviously he's not perfect or he wasn't and he still isn't, but it really wasn't about him. It was like, you could tell that it was like, wait, what? Like, where is this coming from? And, and that's what trauma does when we, when we have trauma stored in our bodies our nervous systems are, are hardwired to react to that, to the fear based on the past. And the, there's a part of our brain that the hippocampus, it can't distinguish that, okay, Aaron, Aaron looks uh, frustrated right now, but, you know, he's not going to go out in a rage and hurt me. Like there was no, I had this trauma in me that couldn't distinguish that just because he's frustrated, he's not going to get aggressive and violent on me. And that, you know, he's a normal human being who experiences frustration and we have to talk it out. So, yeah, I mean, once I realized that it was, I mean, again, like I said, I, I knew it was past trauma stuff and I, I was really aware I could even connect the dots. Like I could draw you a map from things that happened in my past to what I was doing today. I was really good at analyzing in my head, but it was just like when it came time to, to not send an angry text, for example, it's just like I couldn't hold back or just feeling that real desire to, to like question you or play detective yeah. kind of. And I was like, no, no trust. And it was like, no matter how many affirmations I would repeat, it was just like, like word vomit kind of thing. And, and I know once I did shift that, once I did release the trauma, I can answer that confidently today that, yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was so much my past stuff because like I said, we are, he's not perfect. I'm not perfect. And our relationship isn't perfect. I don't know whose is, but I can see clearly now. And that's what releasing trauma does, right? Like the fear like the fear that takes over, it clears up and you can tap much easier into what's real and your intuition. And so I can see clearly now that it was my past stuff. How, how old were you when you were experiencing the trauma? I don't remember what age it started, but it was kind of young age to the time I was about 17 or so till I left my home. Yeah, because that really changes the way our brain develops. And the younger we are, the more it it gets embedded more in our bodies because we can't we don't have the skills or the not even the hardware in our brain yet to process that. Have you read a book called The Body Keeps the Score? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I talk about it in my work a lot too, and it's even like you said, even pre verbally, like before we have that verbal language or even an extensive verbal language, we experience 
a good amount of trauma if our parents are, we grew up with parents who are fighting or violent or, and even after, even after we learn words, you know, that's, we, we store most of the trauma in our bodies and not even in like full memories, but fragments of sensations. And that's what happens when, that's what happened when, you know, like, you know, you kind of get grumpy and you have a certain look (laughs) on your face and it like, that sight, it just, you know, all of a sudden bring, brought me back Mm. or it could be, you know, like a lot of the clients that my team and I work with, it's like, he just came around and snuck up on me in the kitchen and, you know, it startled me and I I reacted and and all he was trying to do is like put his arms around me. You know, I think, you know, the distinction that you were talking about is really important there between the cognitive work and the emotional and physical work, right? Because you can read every book in the world on the topic and you can understand it intellectually, but you're still going to have that emotional trigger, that physical trigger, you know, and cellular memory that's going on. And your cognitive brain is not going to make sense of that, right? And so what you're talking about here is really important. I think a lot of people out there don't understand that, you know, that that the work is all encompassing. Right. And that when we experience trauma, that higher functioning part of our brain that that puts words to memories, that makes decisions or has rational thought, that goes offline. And, and we are purely functioning from our primitive survival brain, which does not remember or does not use words, right? It's all action. It's all fight, flight, freeze, shut down, or some people say fawn. That's why we can't remember most of our trauma in words or access it through words and, and why the work, you know, is so often needed through our bodies. Because if, if the trauma is stored in our bodies and the language of our bodies is movement. And so we need to move through that trauma. Erin, do you have a counter you know, when you talk about laws of attraction and like attracting like. So we know that couples are equally as attractive and equally as intelligent, equally as wounded. Yeah, I was I was just thinking about this actually as, as you guys were talking. Um, as we going through those bumpy, rocky roads in the beginning of our relationship, it definitely triggered some trauma in me. And I grew up in a very controlling and very strict household especially my father was very, you know, domineering personality in my family. They always kind of saw me as a rebel, even though I don't think I was, I just didn't want like being told what to do. Um, I wanted to live, you know, my own life. And when she would challenge me in those early days of our relationship, definitely brought up a lot of those things for me as well, because I just, you know, wanted to live my life in a way that made me happy. And I felt, you know, like I wasn't doing anything personally to her. And I didn't understand why she was, you know, always so critical of, of these things that didn't seem like they were really directed at her. They were, they were about me. So that was why it kind of triggered me to just want to run away. Like I can't be with a person who's always going to be holding me back and criticizing me because I felt like I had spent so much of my life already in that environment of people who always wanted to tell me what to do and who were never satisfied with, you know, the results, whatever they looked like. Were any of those things, things that you look back on and have changed or were they things that she was just totally off base? I don't think she was totally off base. She definitely had some valid concerns. Um, but I think she would probably project those concerns way into the future. And a lot of those were kind of imagining worst case scenario of those things that never really came to happen. You know, maybe, for example, I went out too late one night with my friends and forgot to call her and check in or something. She would say, you know, she would take that to the extreme level. You care more about your friends. You don't care about me. You just, I feel like I'm going to be in the backseat of this relationship. You know, just just sort of one, one example like that, you know, even though that was something that happened, you know, very rarely maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think like the main thing is I didn't trust you and you grew up in a, like with, in a household where you just, you didn't feel trusted. Yeah. Right? Like your, your intentions were always questioned and I, I did that a lot as yeah. well. Yeah. From a, from an early age, my, my dad, especially just, he had very high expectations of me and put a lot of, you know, stress and criticism into everything I did so that, you know, I could be some sort of, you know, Uber achievement level 
as to what he thought, you know, was correct. And, you know, a lot of it was positive, but it, it was just, it didn't come from a, uh, from a happy place, I would say. It's so amazing how relationships are designed, right? We just end up poking each other's sore spots and we've got to learn from that, you know, from each other and learn to heal it too. So how did you guys go from that rocky period to finding a way of working through this together? You know, like that, that night that that you broke up with me, that was, that was a pivotal moment for me. And it was a wake up call because I, I think I'd spent a good amount of time saying, like, like we were talking about, right? You can know all the things in your mind. You can say, these are all the ways that I'm, I'm going to change. I'm going to improve. But when, when I didn't follow through, it was like, it was hard for me to believe. It was hard for him to believe. And that was, that night was a breaking point where I was like, I actually got to start following through because I'm going to, you know, I, I thought I was going to lose him forever. And even though my trauma was getting in the way, you know, I did have a deeper sense that this, like, this is my, this is my man forever kind of thing. And I knew I needed to fix it. And even if he wasn't, I was like, I'm just going to be alone because I can't keep around emotionally unavailable men. I can't keep around emotionally available men. And so that's when I started going to dance movement therapy as a client. And all the stuff that I knew in my mind, I I started to, it started to integrate into my body where, you know, through movement. So, you know, basically when we talk about behaviors, it's, our bodies are the vehicle for which we interact and connect and behave in this world. And so when I started like doing these movements in my body and learning new behaviors, it was like I could finally follow through on what I said I would do differently. And I think, you know, like Aaron was saying before, because I didn't trust him so much or because I was questioning him a lot, he was almost like going back to the teenage, his own teenage years and rebelling a little bit more and pulling away and obviously, you know, broke up with me. But as the more I saw that I shifted my patterns and, and change, the more we could start meeting without, you know, without me having my guard up so much and then without him having his guard up so much. And we started communicating better. I started trusting him more. It was like, the thoughts and the anxiety around what if, what if, what if, and I'm going to be abandoned, I'm going to be betrayed and hurt, that started lightening up as well. And so I, I wasn't projecting so much of that anymore on our, on our relationship. How far into the relationship were you when you guys broke up? Less than, a little less than a year? Yeah, like eight months. Yeah, around so. eight months or so. But. And were you committed to being done done at that point, Aaron? I don't, I don't think so. I mean, we broke up for... A day, I think. Right? Not very long. A couple of hours. <laughs> we broke up for a little bit and then things were still rocky or was like, are is this are we really gonna yeah. get back to Yeah, I, I don't I didn't I didn't want to break up, but I felt like I had no other choice. Like it just it wasn't working. We we were in this cycle of things would be good for a little while and then she would find something to, you know, kind of spin her wheels on. And we would have these long emails and text messages that went back and forth. And I would just, you know, I would, I would feel like we left ourselves in a good place and we understand and we, we can move forward. And then I would wake up in the morning to like another 10 page email of, you know, the, the new, the new worries um, that were popping up, got exhausted of it. And I felt like I had, I had no choice, even though I, I wanted to try to, to make it work. So after that breakup, you know, that's when Orit, you were, dedicated to really putting things in action. Is this work, was the work just done by yourself or did you guys do some work together? You know, and- no, was just, yeah, I just did the work myself. Yeah. I mean, you've done. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I, you, you definitely, you had concerns that were valid to an degree, to a degree and me being more aware of, of those things were useful. I think like, like I read saying, you know, I, I, she did most of the work on, on herself. Yeah. Not on myself. I had, I had support with, with herself. Yeah. A solo. I did the work solo. And, and I think an important part of that too, is that because I brought this trauma into our relationship and because it was still unresolved in within me, I was also trying to work it out through our relationship 
And there were a lot of times where I expected him to, you know, I expected, I wanted you to reassure me and, and subconsciously, if not consciously heal my trauma for me. And Aaron, this is another example of how healthy he was compared to past relationships is he's like, kind of put that boundary of like, I can't, I don't think you ever said this, you know, directly, but it was like, I can't heal for you or I can't heal you because one, you're not a, you know, you're not a therapist. Mm -hmm. And even if you were, that's not your, you know, that's not your role in our relationship. And so like this subconscious of subconsciously trying to heal my trauma through us, I think also like, I remember that put a lot of burden on you as well. And like, because you know, in relationships, especially men, but partners in general, like you really want to help and be the hero and, you know, come to the rescue. And it was just like something, it was an impossible task for you because I had to go and do the work in a separate therapeutic professional relationship to heal my trauma. And I had to stop expecting you to do that for me or to be that person for me. When did you know that the other person was going to be your person? I think from our from our very first date, honestly, I felt like Arif could be the person for me. I right away felt like we had a, a connection on several levels, physical, intellectual, and cultural, and our ideals, and, and just sort of, as we talked about, you know, our, our goals for life and things we enjoy doing, just everything seemed like it clicked on so many ways that I felt like, you know, this, this could be the one for me. I I think I was also at that point in my life where I, I really wanted to find the one also I had been through, you know, probably a string of just casual relationships and realized that I was tired of wasting my time on relationships that I didn't see long-term potential. So um, all those things coming together, when I met Arit, I felt like from the very, very beginning that she could be the one. And I, I didn't want to pursue the relationship if I didn't, feel like she might be that person for me. Yeah. I'm just hearing you say that today, even though I know that's your answer is like, I wish, I wish I could have believed you and felt that right from the start. Like, yeah. although I believe four months in you, you told me, and it was like four months that you told me that you loved me for the first time. And that was, yeah, that was super special. But yeah, like, you know, for me, I had those little moments and a lot of times the, the fear and the trauma and like the, Right, that like hypersensitivity or the hypervigilance, the danger signs took that away as well. And I would say I finally got more settled in that. I'm like trying to count the years, but probably like really settled in that about two years in where I got a lot, a lot clearer. So why did you guys stick with it? I think I just, I knew, I, I recognized that our conflicts were coming from baggage and trauma that didn't feel like it was related to me. And she was working, you know, so hard on herself. And I I knew with her background that she was really mindful of kind of where these issues were coming from. And I, and I felt like we were making improvement in that area. There were, you know, like I said, sometimes there'd be steps forward and then steps back, but, you know, I saw a future for us where she could kind of get over her trust issues and her, you know, doubt issues about me. So I felt like it it was worth it. I just felt like we had a special connection from the beginning. And, you know, as long as we could get past those, those trust issues, we would be together forever. (laughs) You know, Aaron, to hear you say that, I mean, it's kind of an amazing thing, you know, and very insightful, you know, of you. I think it's really easy in relationships to take things personally you know, to make assumptions. I'm quoting the four agreements now, but, you know, it's it's so hard when you're in it, in a relationship, you know, to be able to separate that out and say, okay, my partner is having a, an intense emotional reaction to something. It doesn't have to do with me. It's coming from the past. And now I'm going to step into it versus step away and run away from it, right? And that is like the crux of you know, the work that we do in helping couples, you know, lean into that pain so that they can both grow from each other and learn from each other. And I think that's just across the board, all relationships, 
you know, regardless if one person or two people are are coming in bringing in trauma from their history, right? But th- just to hear you say that, I mean, I think that was a really important question that Gene asked, like, why why did you guys stay with it, right? Because I think a lot of our listeners out there, they might find themselves in a similar situation, a rocky relationship, and they don't know, you know, do I stay? Do I go? You know, <laughs> how do I make that decision too? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's a really good question. And Aaron actually introduced me to the book, The Four Agreements. And (laughs) yeah, he's helped me grow in in so many ways too with just, you know, like you've had things to work on as well, but you've cut, you came into the relationship having worked through a lot of your stuff from your childhood. Yeah, that was right at a point where I, I had been doing a lot of focused work on myself. So I think that's probably why I was just so mindful and easy able to recognize where those things were coming from for you. Mm-hmm. Why did you stick with it? Yeah. I mean, I think, like I said, I, I had this, even underneath the trauma and, and all the doubt and all of that, I, I still, I've always been really tuned into my body because I, you know, I've been dancing since I was four years old. And before I became a client in dance therapy, I became a dance movement therapist. And so I was really able, I was very connected to my, to my body and kind of that inner, inner knowing as well. And so I, I do believe there was a deeper part of me that knew that this would work out and that, you know, he's the one. And, and I, I, I think I'm like thinking about this on the spot is that I, I pretty much probably knew what I had to do because I did have that intellectual awareness. I knew what I had to do. I just had to like go and do it. Like I had to go and get that support because I, I, I just knew that this was going to be so worth it. It was the, the most like healthiest, you're the most healthiest loving person that I've, that I've ever been with and that I will ever be with. And that was, that was everything I ever wanted after, you know, after all that I experienced, like I just wanted to be with someone who I could give love and really receive love fully. And I, I just knew it was, we had that just had to like clear out the way. Yeah. I think I I felt that same thing on a, on a gut level. It it just felt like perfect, but all the stuff on top of it was, you know, the baggage and the trauma. Which is part of relationship, right? (laughs) So when we're working with a couple, that's how we do it. You know, like I'll work with the wives. He works with the husbands. We do the individual work. And the couple's work is really designed to teach them the skills of how they're navigating those more difficult things within the relationship. And as your relationship, how long have you guys been together? Seven years. Seven years. As it progresses, we're at, we're on year 23. Yeah. yeah. It goes through these developmental processes and, and in particular comes to quite a peak during menopause. So hang in there <laughs> where, you know, we teach people how to help each other heal, but appropriately and not with poor boundaries, which means you understand yourself at a level. And really the most important part about really healing anything is shame is what we're healing, right? And shame says, keep it a secret. And when you have a person in your life that you can say, here's what I feel shame around, the shame loses its power over you. And to do it with a therapist is really impactful work, but to do it with your partner is huge. So you guys are really doing such a great job of navigating these really tough things. That's really awesome. Yeah. Thank you. And I think the, yeah, I think the important part from what you're saying is that like, I'll still have certain feelings or thoughts that are uncomfortable or that's like, Ooh, you know, I, I got, thought I got past that, you know, and things get hard. But the difference is when we've actually worked through our traumas, we don't react to that. We don't act on that. And even though sometimes it's still hard, probably in the moment to say why I'm hurt or to be really vulnerable, I can eventually, you know, much quicker than I used to communicate that. I think that's a certain way you've improved as well as communicating faster instead of this, you know, uncontrollable fear reaction. And then I, and that's the difference too of doing the work through our body is, is like our nervous system stops hijacking our physical body so that we can respond and be in charge of the way 
that we want to respond differently. Can you guys each speak to this? When you're talking about your body, can you talk specifically about what are the things that are is happening in your body that you're feeling? And Erin, what do you see on the outside that you know that she's experiencing something? Because I think a lot of people that trauma is a big word that we use. And some people think that means, you know, you have to go through, you know, a physical thing or some really life-threatening thing. But trauma can be something small that happens repeatedly over time that it's hard to kind of put together. And so if they could identify what's going on physiologically, I think that would be a really important thing. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for saying that too, because yeah, I mean, it could be just like you grew up with a lot of siblings and you didn't, you know, you felt this kind of moderate neglect or you got, you know, your home life was okay, but you got bullied in school on a day-to-day basis. So I'm really happy you said that too, because on a scientific level, trauma is, is a dysfunction of the nervous system. And that doesn't have to mean that I got into this huge car accident or that I experienced sexual abuse and, and stuff like that. So it, especially in our early days and some, you know, some days I think I still do, I can still do this when we get into bigger disagreements just lasts a lot. It just lasted a lot longer in the past was just like feeling it's so hard. It's almost hard to describe. And I also want to say that it's, going to show up differently for everyone because we all store trauma differently in our bodies and we all express that through our bodies differently. But for me, it was like this closing up and this hardening is the best way I I can describe what happens in my body when I I feel threatened, when I felt threatened often, or when I felt like I'm about to get hurt. Yeah. And I can see that physically on you too. Like I can see just tightening of your face, kind of nose flaring, like your lips. I could see you in your lips when you're like upset or not in your eyes, just like microfacial features, you know, it's just kind of like a, a tightening of everything. Yeah. And it depends on which way I'm reacting. Right. Cause like I could be reacting in a, in a fight response and that's like, right. Like the kind of feeling this heat going through me and this, this like my tight, my chest constricting, but there's also times where, you know, I've reacted in the freeze response and I'm just, you know, just deer in the headlights. Like, I think we, we have this pattern sometimes where you want to actually, we kind of switch off sometimes where you want to talk more about it, right? Like you're getting more frustrated and more angry. And so like you're reacting in this fight response and it makes me freeze up. Like I, I can't. I can't engage right now. And so he wants me to talk more. And this happens a lot with our clients too, this dynamic. And I'm just like, you know, frozen and tense. And that's a little bit more blank and disconnected from my body today after doing the work and, and recognizing that like I can, I can feel it. I can still stay in my body and, and be in command of, of how I respond. But like back then it was like, again, just almost leaving the room, even though I'm still there. What is your observation about the way your brain functions during each of those different things, either that fighting or the freezing? So, I mean, we, we all have a hierarchy of the way that we respond, like the way that we have our survival responses so the brain will, it's really like the brain and the nervous system will, not that it's a conscious thing, this just kind of happens, right? Like real quick. The nervous system will perceive threat or danger in the environment, or in this case, the relationship. And if, for example, if I was out in the wild and there was a bear in the, in the you know, facing me, if, if my nervous system within a matter of a second could perceive that I could fight off successfully this bear or successfully run away, then that's how I would react. But that probably wouldn't happen. So my nervous system and my brain and my body would go straight to the freeze response, a more ancient response where my muscles are more tense and because my muscles are more tense, I'm less appetizing to eat. So the bear might not have attack me or eat me. And then if in 
again in those in that second or so, it's like even that's not going to work. That's when we play dead, right? Because I'm dead. I'm not going to be not going to be a good meal for this bear. And that's when that's the part where people from their trauma they completely dissociate or disconnect. Their heart rate lowers. Their blood pressure lowers. Like they're actually getting into a they're not dying, but they're pretending like like primitive animals do. I I was wondering, in just kind of hearing you talk, I was wondering if you can comment a little bit about, you know, how this work interacts with physical intimacy, right, with couples. Because a lot of times we see when couples are emotionally distant, you know, it's translated into their physical intimate relationship, right? And so if you're talking about this body work, I imagine that it, it definitely is related. Yeah, it's absolutely related from a body and nervous system reaction. And I'll give an example of a client who went through uh, my Let Love In program. She had experienced a good amount of trauma from uh, losing a child and grieving all of that. And she had a really great relationship emotionally with her husband. But when it came to the bedroom, it was like... She couldn't initiate and she couldn't actually, you know, she couldn't really be there in the moment. And she was talking a lot instead and basically trying to talk around having sex. And this, you know, she didn't really realize what only until we started working together and doing this, accessing the the trauma and releasing it through her body. She realized, wow, I thought, I thought I really you know, did my grieving. I thought I really let that go. And there was this one, like the first moment that she realized is that we were moving together in session and we came to the floor, something we hadn't, we hadn't done before because it was an early session. And as soon as we sat on the floor together through Zoom, she just started crying. It was like something for her being on the floor, put her in this really like vulnerable position and reminded her body of this loss. And that was the realization that, oh, wow. Like when I, when I slow down, when I bring my body to a more vulnerable space, I'm actually in touch with it because what happened in the bedroom is she would talk, talk, talk. And it was time to be like, it was time to slow down and get more intimate with her husband. And she was just avoiding that because as we can see from from that one session, she would get more in touch with her body and the unresolved trauma. So it's like, it's, it's usually a matter of what often happens with our clients is they've spent so much time disconnecting from their bodies because the trauma is stored in there. And, you know, the body and the nervous system say it's not safe to connect. It's not safe to feel. Because if I do, it's going to like rip up all these old wounds. And so when we're, when we're physically and sexually intimate with our partners, we, in order to really enjoy it, we have to be in our bodies. And then from kind of a more nervous system perspective, the act of sex is us being in our fight-flight response. It's that sympathetic nervous system state, except without the fear so Stephen Porges calls it mobilization without the fear. So that sex, play, basically like and movement and basically an active place of being in connection with someone else without all that fear getting in the way. So we need to have we need to be able to be in that fight flight state or that sympathetic state without all that trauma coming into it. How have you guys navigated that? in your relationship? For me, yeah. I mean, that was always kind of like, in terms of coming to, in terms of sex, it was more like if I asserted my need or if I asserted what I wanted or maybe I didn't want, maybe I didn't want to get intimate one night or anything like that. It was like, will he still love me or want to stick around? Can Can I use my voice and be honest about what I need? And everything can still be okay. What about for you, Aaron? Yeah, I, I don't know that I've I haven't thought about a lot about the connection between our, you know, our, our trauma and our body and how that relates to our sexual life. 
I can definitely see the, the pattern when, you know, we've had conflicts that it's, you know, had an effect on us being intimate because we don't feel as close to each other. And typically not until we work through our other issues that are going on that we feel like, you know, we're, we want to be intimate together. So that's definitely something that, that we, we work on that's, you know, visible for me. We've kind of developed this concept of the development of our sexuality through the course of a long-term relationship. And you guys would still be in the very beginning stages of what we see as developmental. And you're about to shift because you're having a baby. Yeah. Right? And so that thing that you were speaking about, and, and I'm just going to talk from what what I hear from women not the guy side. You can talk about the guy side, but that's what they do. They have sex when they don't want to because they're afraid their partner's going to cheat on them or leave them. And so in the beginning, before you have a child, you know, we're just such natural givers that that's okay. And we have plenty to give and we keep doing that. And then after we have a child, we keep doing it for the same reasons. And now our bodies have changed and we have less energy and our bodies are now being used for something really different, the same parts of our body, right? We're birthing, we're breastfeeding. And so it gets really confusing in your head of what is going on. And still there's that worry. So I'm going to continue to have sex when I don't want to and get less and less out of it because now there's a baby, there's no energy, there's no time. There's no, I'm going to take a bath and go on a nice date and really prepare myself for you know intimacy. Then I think women get to a point where they get so depleted that they push back and they finally go, if you've got to go cheat, if you've got to go, whatever you have to do, you go do that because I can't, I, I'm, I'm dying in here, right? And then I think that sexual relationship goes to a very different level that includes more emotion and more self-reflection. After that, and, and many years, again, this is a really, really long process it becomes really spiritual. And and I'm talking about 25 years in, you know, we're 24 years of dating Mm -hmm. and, and we've probably hit that space in the last four years because we're empty nesters and we have the time and the energy to work on it. And so, you know, I think that's an important thing for couples that are struggling out there. Intimacy is a tough thing and it is our most vulnerable thing. And it's really difficult to even navigate the words of all the stuff that we're thinking and feeling. And we start out as two individual people having our own sex life to, you know, hopefully merging and having one, you know, I don't know if you want to speak to the guy part. Just briefly, I mean, for guys, there is also a transformation that happens in a committed relationship as well, where sex starts out as being external, like it's out here versus, you know, it's visual, it's all of this, you know, and then it becomes internal. Right. If especially if you're working at this, you know, with a partner, it becomes this connecting within as far as what you feel and your emotions and your connection to a primary partner. And then it becomes spiritual as well. But I think that there is this this push and pull that happens throughout the course of a relationship. And and that's kind of why we talk about leaning into it, which is important for couples so that they can get to that place of transforming their relationship, you know, mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And, and you know, I, I just want to add that the trauma on top of that, it just complicates it even more, you know, because now, especially if someone has a trauma that's associated with, you know, a sexual act or something, it, it now is so confusing, not just intellectually or cognitively, but it it can, is confusing in all realms, right, of that connection. Yeah. Yeah. If they even have a trauma that's not sexually related, like the, the women who I talk to, who they have no no actual memory or no incident of sexual trauma. And they're like, I don't, you know, it, that's even more confusing because it seems like it would be obvious sexual trauma, sexual, like I'm bringing that into the bedroom, but it's yeah. From a, from a body nervous system perspective, as I was saying before, it's, it doesn't have to be that way. And I, I also, I really resonate to Jean with what you were saying of, it's almost like giving our bodies up, and when we don't want to, and it's this lack of boundaries and lack of respect that we might have for ourselves and our bodies to please someone else. You know, I definitely have room to grow, but I have found that the more that I'm really 
again, tuning in and being like, do I really want this right now? And if it's a no, you know, it's just, just like, kind of like, it's too late. (laughs) I'm too tired. I think we're pretty good at not pressuring each other. One of the interesting things in the brain is the sexual pathway in the brain for women lays right next to the pathway of nutrition, nurture, food, right? That's what makes us bond with our children and feed them. And it's also why a lot of times people who have trauma will also have an issue with their food in some way. And for men, the pathway next to the sexual pathway is anger. It's anger, right. And so so sometimes that, that rejection... Right. Rejection will trigger anger you know, in a man. And so it's, it's really about feeling wanted and desired. And if you're rejected, then, you know, it starts up that whole anger process. So let's talk about something fun. Okay. Tell us how you guys got engaged. It was New Year's Eve. Oh my gosh. 2000. I just lose track of really the years, but uh, I guess it was around four years ago since we've been married for three years. And I actually woke up knowing that I would get engaged. Like I was like, I'm getting engaged today, even though I didn't know. We've always had these really special New Year's Eves where we like really share deeply. Or we did like in the early years, share just like a little bit more deeply about where we see each other going. So I just I knew he was gonna propose sometime soon. We had already moved in and we'd already talked about it happening sometime yeah within the year or did, so did you talk to her parents or do anything to prepare I, I did ask for her parents permission i, I did all that and <laughs> how did that go it went great they were excited they just wanted to know how soon <laughs> aaron was an anomaly to my parents as well because it's like my even my dad who who just like had this temper all the time growing up he's like and and grew up with a dad who had the same like Aaron is so calm and cool and collected and it was so interesting because I don't have a close relationship with my dad but he's definitely having a parallel experience with me of like is he is he normal (laughs) like is he gonna turn into a monster scene he was was totally accepting yeah they were they were excited they were they were they were accepting we even had done some early ring shopping because I didn't want to make a mistake and buy something I hated. <laughs> so, you know, just just some window shopping. But then after that, there was probably like a good four or five months of just quiet. I was like, don't, don't ask me questions. Don't talk <laughs> about it. You're going to be surprised. It's going to happen someday. So New Year's Eve, we were going to kind of like a, a fancy dinner hall type place. And I was afraid of carrying the ring in my pocket because it was in a big box. And I, I thought she was going to feel it on my body when we were dancing or something. So I was wearing like a suit jacket. So I, I called her best friend up and kind of a funny story. It happened to be her best friend's birthday on the day that I called her. And I didn't realize it was her birthday. And she, she answered the phone all excited and expecting me to wish her a happy birthday. And I totally forgot and asked her if she would carry the ring into me for me into the party. But she did, of course. So... I gave her the ring, her friend, early, early on in the night, and we went to the dinner party. And uh, my plan was that the whole night, her, her friend was still holding the ring for me in her purse, and I was waiting for Arit to go to the bathroom so I could get the ring from her. And normally, Arit goes to the bathroom... Every half hour. <laughs> every 20 minutes, I'm going to say. Yeah, she pees, she pees a lot. So the whole, the whole night, I'm sitting there pouring her water... <laughs> like trying to make her go to the bathroom. And for some reason, this, this night of all nights, you decided like, no, I don't have to pee for like three hours straight. I feel like, yeah. My That's friend awesome. was like, more water. And I was like, everyone's being so nice to me. Tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and then she was like persuading me to go to the bathroom. And I was like, okay, it, it, got to like, go. it was getting to like 1130 and I was like, we have to do this soon. Yeah. So I'm like offering you drinks and like, you should probably go to the bathroom before the ball drops. And like, <laughs> Yeah. And then you said you had a poem to read for me. And then I turned to my friend. I was like, he's going to propose tonight. Like he doesn't, sorry, but he doesn't read poems to me. <laughs> yeah. I probably should have thought of something else to say, but I needed a reason to get her out of the, the hall into like this back out yard area that they had was, was like lots of lights and like kind of quiet and secluded. I thought because we had had like meaningful New Year's Eve experiences where we like you know, kind of get deep with each other that you wouldn't be that suspicious that I had written you something for New Year's Eve. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe I should have just said, let's go check out the outside. But that would have been more normal. Yeah. <laughs> so 
And so then? I, yeah. I, and, I read her my poem, which was my proposal. And, and I said yes. <laughs> which is funny because, was it three weeks or four weeks into after our first date, he asked me to be his girlfriend and, you know, a very normal thing to do is something I just wasn't used to. And I was totally thrown off guard. And I was like, why? <laughs> and I don't think I ever said yes to being his girlfriend. Like, you know, we, we became official and it was, it was understood. But that was probably the first time I actually said yes to him was when he proposed three years later. Yeah. Awesome. I said yes. We've had a running joke about that. And guess I'll have your baby too. (laughs) So speaking of babies, how does our hormones, especially as women, impact our trauma and our thinking? That's a that's a good question. And you know, it's not like my super area of expertise to to think of or to focus on hormones, but it's you know. In my personal experience, hormones just intensify, right? Like in, and I'm in regarding like feminine menstrual cycle and definitely pregnancy. This is my first pregnancy. It really intensifies all those, those feelings that like, if, if um, if I'm having a certain fear or if I'm, you know, if I'm, I'm worried about something in our relationship, with the, with like kind of the the monthly menstrual cycle that that wasn't really a thing for me anymore but definitely experienced in my first trimester i would say in general just a whole like a, i had that whole like nesting experience where i'm like everything has to be right the foundation has to be right and i did that with my business and there was some of that that fear came back a little bit of like what if something happens to you or what if what if you leave me? And like I had said, it's totally like, it's fine. We can, we can have those thoughts, but it, it definitely kind of intensify those emotions again. What I noticed I was, is like your thinking gets a little bit, the fight or flight thinking is a different invasive thought than the wisdom mind. And to learn to discern between those two, And a little secret for guys out there, if you're with someone who is having an intense emotional reaction to something that doesn't look like it should warrant that, take your hand and put it right on their chest and just kind of ground them. They don't want the words. (laughs) They need the touch. And don't be afraid of it and don't run away. Just let those emotions run and they'll find a balance. Yeah. Something I told Aaron early on is like, sometimes I just cry and I need a, you know, sometimes I just need a good cry and it's not, not necessarily a reason. And and this was more years ago where I did have a bit of an addiction to having a good cry and it's, it doesn't happen as much anymore, but I was like, if that happens, you don't have to fix anything. We don't have to talk about it. I just want, I just want you to hug me and let me lean on you. Yeah, I'm definitely person who tries to fix it and like wants to. Uh, Most guys are really, most guys are very solution focused and, you know, it's hard to see your partner going through something and not wanting to help her or help the situation and try to fix it. And so, you know, if you feel helpless out there, really the only thing you need to be is, is of a support, right? To just be there with your partner you know, and and I was along the same lines. I was going to ask Orit, have you, in doing the work that you do, do you ever have their partners involved? You know, and does does that do you see that as as more of a help? So I personally don't work with the partners. I only work with the women, or sometimes we do work with men as well, but only with one of the partners of the relationship. And that's just you know my. First of all, my choice to not do the couples work together, but also, you know, it's if one person, like like we were talking about before, you know, the other partners' traumas are going to get triggered. But if it's like the one person who who are the clients who come to me and my team who's having this real huge unresolved trauma, then they need to work through that first. 
right? Not through their relationship. And a lot of like a lot of our clients find that once they start doing that work, then yeah, things are shifting, right? They're not triggering their trauma as much or their fight response isn't triggering their partner's freeze as much because we all, we co-regulate as humans, we co-regulate and we also get dysregulated together. Most of the time our clients do, you know, the work apart from the relationship and that has been transformational for the entire relationship. And there are, there are some clients who, even from the start, they'll be like, should, should we be doing this work together? Or, and I'll say, let's do this first. And then afterwards, like if that's still something that you need, then it's a good time to do the work together. Cause you know, I've worked with a lot of women who have gone into couples therapy and they feel like they're not getting enough. And maybe, maybe you've experienced this as well as couples therapists, but they're not getting enough. And it's a mirror. It's another mirror for, Hey, like you're not giving me enough reassurance or you're not helping me enough with my trauma. And they really need that separate space to work through those really big things before coming together. Yeah, there's definitely certain conditions that are counter, counter, counterintuitive, yeah. Not intuitive. They conflict with doing couples work and that would be one of them. So when there when there's a trauma or an addiction or some something that has to get worked on first, doing couples work and asking someone to be emotionally vulnerable when they don't feel safe or their partner isn't safe, it, who knows, then that's a that's actually more traumatizing. And so what would be perfect is when they did get to that point where they were done with you, that they would then go do the couple's work now that they have this their own inner wisdom and their own way of communicating inside to then try and, and work on and elevate things in their relationship. But couple's work that incorporates the individual work and also the couple work as well. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's kind of what we pay attention to is, you know, what is going on for the individual? And then how does that also interact with the relationship? And so we're constantly working on those three separate relationships, you know, simultaneously and, you know, paying attention to all of those moving parts. So, Orit, if someone were to want to work with you and get a, get a hold of you, how would they do that? Yeah. Um, so the best place for anyone to start, which is a free gift that I wanted to give to your listeners today, is my free Wired for Love training. It's a three-part video training online that will walk them through how they can release their trauma, rewire their nervous system, change these patterns that are stuck in their body so that they can let in that healthy love and really let that in from their partners and and feel it. And it comes with a downloadable workbook too, where not only do you learn how you can do this, but you can apply this, the information to their specific trauma in order to save their relationships. If it's kind of on the brink of of falling apart, it's wiredforlovetherapy.com. Wired for love therapy. And is that for F-O-R or for like the number? F-O-R. F-O-R. Okay. So wiredforlovetherapy.com. So yeah, that's wonderful out there. You know, all of you listening in Couple Synergy land, you know, definitely jump on that. There's some amazing, amazing resources there for people. So, you know, thank you so much for offering that too. Yeah. I'm, I'm so happy to. And it's provided so many women this clarity and relief that even many, many years of, of talk therapy hasn't quite given to them. So it's not a training that will heal their trauma to be like to clarify, but it's the information that you get from it is like, oh, I never seen things this way with the brain and the nervous system and all that. So it's super helpful. So I hope you take me up on it. <laughs> so last question, what is it that your partner does that you know they love you? I have a few things. <laughs> the way that he looks at me, like just looks, you know, we'll be going about our day, busy, doing our thing, but just those pauses where he looks me in the eye and it's just, you have a certain gentle look. It's that, that look that I noticed from our first date, little things like when we're driving and you 
put your hands on my leg. And it's like these little soft, gentle touches or acknowledgements of me, like that I, I never had. Like I was always so used to the roughness and like real like aggression from, from past relationships. And so it's like when you do those, those gentle things, I'm like, he loves me. (laughs) Yeah. I would say you also do some little things that, that I noticed. You love to surprise me in the morning with breakfast that I had breakfast in bed before I was even awake really. But you also do some really big grand gestures She's really is really good at kind of remembering things that I've said maybe six months ago, something that I wanted to do or get for myself that I I wouldn't you know ever take the initiative on and uh, maybe surprise me with that for my birthday or just a random day or event. So she's really good at kind of surprising me with those sorts of you know nice big gestures, and I, I always notice them a lot. Well, Orit and Aaron, thank you so much for being on Couple Synergy today. This has been quite a treat for us. Thanks thank for having you us. so much for having us. You know, people have been sharing their stories since the beginning of time to grow and bond and heal. And we hope that by you guys sharing your story, it's enriched your lives and the lives of our listeners. We want to wholeheartedly thank you, all of our listeners, for joining us today on Couple Synergy. Our passion is in helping couples and people have happy and healthy relationships. And this podcast gives us a fun way of bringing our knowledge and expertise to you, our listeners. For all of you listening, please subscribe to our podcast and please leave us a review. If you have any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, please email us at contact at couplesynergy.com. For more information about Couple Synergy and our programs such as Relationship 101, the Couples Weekend Intensive, which is coming up in October, and our premier program called Couple to Couple. Look us up online at couplesynergy.com. And if you know someone who could benefit from this episode, please download it and share it. And thank you for listening. Until next time, synergize your life, synergize your love. You have been listening to Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean Kedkodian. Couple Synergy was recorded, edited, and produced by Dr. Ray and Jean Kedkodian. Voiceover and music entitled Breathe and Let Go was recorded and composed by Gina Gonzalez.